Hello, party people. Welcome to another edition of the Celebrant Talk Show. It's uh, your co-host, Josh Withers, joined, of course, by the uh, much more attractive female counterpart, Sarah Ad. Hello. Hello, sir. It's very nice to hear from you again. Yes, it's always good. We we, we did it like a little mini private podcast uh, last week, just where no one else was invited and we just had dinner and beers. <laughs> it was lovely. It was very pleasant, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was funny. I was on the way to catch up with you and I thought, oh, we should bring, like, we should do a podcast in person. I thought, you know what? Like, not everything has to be shared. We can just have a private podcast where we just exactly. catch up. Because <laughs> uh, I was talking to a mutual friend of uh, yours and mine and the show, um, Anthony uh, Cribbis, and uh, and he was he was just commenting on how he thought it was really good. Shout out to you, Ant. And, um, and he enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, he went as far to say that uh, it saves him looking at any, any of the other crap. It just... This is just his. This is his source of all the celebrant crap. He doesn't look up the, the other crap. And, That's what uh, I want to hear. Awesome. And I was just telling him that this is a podcast that's been going for years. It's just we've never recorded it. We just—it's absolutely <laughs> correct. We just talk shit to each other all the time. And we thought, why not record it? So. Celebrant.fm is, uh, if you're a new listener to the show, Celebrant.fm is where you can listen to it. Um, and uh, look, I just also wanted to kind of just politely say, please, if you listen to this on whatever app you're listening to it on, if you can do whatever that app has that allows you to kind of give it a yes. So, for example, if you're on, if you're on the Apple Podcast app, give it like a five-star rating. If you're on Overcast, give it a star. If you're on Facebook, give it a share or a like. I don't know. It's just that little stuff that kind of helps the algorithm out and just says, hey, buddies, this is not a terrible show. At least a couple of hundred people like this. That would be cool. We'd be, be very much appreciative of that. So um, in the last episode, Sarah, we, uh, we had a chat about marriage equality because um, no one else was talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to actually say I'm a little bit horrified by the number of celebrants who are posting things on Facebook groups this week going, I'm just catching up, so can we still use our Form 15s? Like, guys, it's been a month. Like, I just – that that – yeah, it's been a little bit um, – I think I suppose it, it reminds me that not everyone is as deep into this celebrant world as I am and as you are, Josh. And I do have to remind myself that this is not the be-all and end-all for some people. But really, guys, just read your email. It's right there in black and white. Yeah, talking about marriage equality, because I wanted to do a bit of a follow-up on that in a second, but I got an inquiry yesterday. I'm just I'm desperately trying to find it, and I cannot find it right now. But the, the inquiry basically, it was from two girls, and they said, hey, we're looking for a celebrant who um, is okay to marry us, who's okay with the same marriage equality, uh, but also isn't just doing this for the cash and also isn't giving away free weddings as if our weddings aren't worth anything. I thought, wow, that's actually oh, that's crazy. Good one. Because how many how many Facebook posts have we seen like free weddings for gay people and like yeah, a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting because just before the legislation changed, the Sydney City Council came out and said, when the law changes, we will offer a bunch of our venues for free to gay couples to have their weddings. And Tony Abbott's sister, who is a well known. Uh, gay advocate, and she is in a lesbian relationship herself. I believe she's a councillor on the city, Sydney City Council, but if that's wrong, ignore that. But anyway, she came out and went, hang on a second, this is about equality. We don't want you to give us stuff for free unless you're giving that to the heterosexual couples as well because we actually want the same thing. We don't want preferential treatment. We don't want different treatment. 
We want to be the same. Yeah, it's it's actually amazing that she would have said that. I didn't know she said that, but that's spectacular. Yeah. It was amazing and there was really a lot of fuss about it at the time because they were like, oh, yeah, you know, gay, gay um, ceremonies for free, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no, guys, that's shit. We don't want that. So pretty pretty interesting. But a uh, follow-up to the marriage equality um, episode we did, which, by the way, if you haven't listened to, um, zip on back and listen to that because they're like – I um I play the part. I don't know if anyone knows I'm a, I'm a spectacular actor, but I play the part of an idiot, um, which is a, a, a part that I research for fairly heavily, just trying <laughs> to really get into the mind of an idiot. And uh, and once I felt completely prepared for that, I embraced Sarah on a podcast and asked lots of stupid questions that other people might have about marriage equality, just so you didn't have to ask them. It's true. And as I always say at OPD, there are no stupid questions except the ones you don't ask. Oh, look. A you teacher. I know, right? Because if you Ms. Ed in the room, <laughs> I would much prefer that you ask a stupid question. You being anyone, ask a stupid question, than not ask and get it wrong, and like make a make a mistake that would cause an issue for your couple. So to me, there's actually no stupid questions except those ones that Very you don't true. ask. So, um, so the. Uh the questions we asked hopefully covered the wide berth of questions people might have had about the law changing and whatnot. Uh, but I know a few people got in contact with you about some other possible questions that we might need to reiterate or they might not have covered well. Absolutely. So there are two, basically two new sets of questions on the notice of intended marriage. And these are causing a little bit of uh, consternation and concern for some celebrants. So the first new question, which is actually question one now on the norm talks about description of party and it gives three options, groom, bride and partner. The fact sheet that was released when the legislation changed from the Attorney General's office said parties may choose which description they would like to use. Then it went on to say male parties can choose groom, female parties can choose bride and parties who do not identify as either gender can choose partner. Now, the way I read it was that those were examples. They used the word can. They did not say male partners must choose groom and female partners must choose bride. So there's been quite a bit of concern around the celebrant community about who can be what description? Basically, the answer is they can be whatever they want. So I have, for example, a uh, a female same-sex couple who I'm marrying on the 20th of January. One of them has chosen groom and one has chosen bride. And that's fine because that's their prerogative. Now, one of the administrators on the AFCC Facebook group, Lou, did actually write to the Attorney General's department to ask this question. And the response that he got from them in an email was that, yes, parties can choose whichever descriptor they want, regardless of their gender. So even though it hasn't been publicly said in any forum on any fact sheet that male parties may choose bride or partner, that's they can. It's fine. So when I'm reading legislation and fact sheets and guidelines and things like that, I'm always looking for those nuances in language. The word can means that there's an option. The word must means that you're required to follow that 
that rule that they're setting out there. So just to reiterate, question one, groom, bride or partner, parties may choose which description they use regardless of their own gender. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense to me. Um, Excellent. So we may end up with two brides, two grooms, a groom and a bride, a groom and a partner, a partner and a bride. There's going to be lots of different uh, amalgamations here now. You know what's funny is because uh, I've I've put that to every couple that I've done a norm with and I said, uh, you get to choose your title. I said, um, you can choose to be groom, bride or partner. Um, and everyone kind of looks at me a bit weird and uh, I'll just choose groom, thanks. And I kind of, like, I don't want to force anyone to choose partner because I think that's probably illegal. Um, <laughs> but but <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to heavily influence them. But I'm kind of saying, oh, hey, if you're like a modern couple, like, you could be two partners. Like, even if you're in a what we might call a traditional, you know, heterosexual relationship, you can be two partners. That's kind of cool. It's kind of modern. Absolutely. And I even think that I've got one. Yes, I do have a same-sex male couple who I'm marrying on the 21st of January and they have both chosen to be well, partner. What are the titles there for? Like, so if you choose to be a partner, um, uh, like instead of husband, you're then a spouse, is that right? You don't have to be. If Again, you can choose. So in the legal vows, you can choose whether you take your other half as husband, wife or spouse. So... Obviously, the logical thing would be that if someone chooses to be described as groom uh, on the notice of intended marriage, they would then choose to be described as husband in the vows. But thats it's not a thing that it has to be that way. So the, the female couple I've got where one of them has chosen groom and one has chosen bride, the one who's chosen bride has chosen to be referred to as wife in the vows and the one who's chosen groom has chosen to be referred to as spouse in the vows. Again, choice. God, I love a good choice. How choice? Love a good choice. Choice is awesome. I know, right? Choice is cool. So they actually do have that choice in both of those places. Now, somebody also did ask me about the difference between partner and spouse, and I just wanted to reiterate that the word partner implies that they're not yet married, which is why it's on the notice of intended marriage. And the word spouse implies that they are married, which is why it's used in the vows. Um, was there anything else we needed to cover off marriage-wise? Yes. So that was the description of the parties. The other thing that's causing some issues is around the gender uh, because that's now also listed on the notice of intended marriage. So previously we didn't have to write their gender on the form because it had to be one man and one woman and the man always had to be listed under the bridegroom side and the woman always had to be listed under the bride side. So that's why we've never had to write gender on the form before. But now there's a new question, question four, that asks for the party's genders and the options here are male, female or X. This is a place where they do not get to choose. You must list their gender based on what is on the paperwork they give you to prove their date and place of birth. So it is actually possible in Australia to have X on your passport, which means non-binary, gender non-specific, uh, gender queer. There are lots of different descriptors that people use to describe themselves as somebody who does not identify as either male or female. And it is possible with a uh, letter from a registered medical practitioner and various other things to have that documentation changed so that it actually says X. So if it says X on their passport, you can write X on the norm. You can't just write X on the norm if they turn up 
and on the day and go, oh, look, my passport says male, but I actually want to be X. That's not a choice. We can't choose here. As I have seen some celebrants saying, yeah, they can choose that. No, they can't. It has to be whatever is written on their paperwork. Now, birth certificates are a bit different. Um, I've only looked into the Victorian birth certificates. I know that for Victorian birth certificates, you can get your gender changed on the birth certificate after having gender reaffirmation surgery. Uh, But I don't think you can get it changed to X. I'd have to do a bit more uh, looking at that. With passports, you can get your gender changed on your passport simply with a letter from a registered medical practitioner or psychologist. You don't have to have had gender affirmation surgery in order to get your passport changed. So it's just important for us to be aware that gender actually has a legal status. I think it's actually called sex on the on the paperwork, which isn't entirely accurate because my understanding is that sex is about biology, whereas gender is about identity. But that's another argument altogether that I have sent an email to the Attorney General's Department about. So question four, it says sex and the choices are male, female or X. You must tick whatever their passport says. Excellent work. Good follow-up. Um, and of course, if you've got any other questions about anything we say uh, or about marriage equality, um, hit up our email, hello at celebrant.fm. <laughs> So uh, I don't know what your email box has been looking like, Sarah. Mine has been a place of mayhem and craziness uh, because that um, that beautiful season, the season of the year that we all wait for, inquiry season, is upon us. Um, it's 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 kind of like Christmas coming because it quite literally is Christmas Eve. <laughs> but but we, we all spend the whole year like, yes, there's inquiries and bookings all year round. Like totally there is. But then like I don't. This is my experience with my inbox and my bookings, but incrementally each month, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth is a little bit less quiet. Sorry, a little bit more quiet than the month before. And January, January is just like, boom, it's crazy month. And then just a little bit more quiet, a little bit more quiet, all the way through to December being the most quiet. And then January hits. I'm like, thank God I'm, I don't suck a business. <laughs> I, can, I can pay rent again. Hallelujah. <laughs> Is, there, is that true Look, for you? My, I have actually haven't sat down and done the figures on this. Uh, I do know that January is, uh, you know, touted as inquiry season in the wedding industry. But my when last time I did my figures, people were inquiring with me on average 10 months before their ceremony. So generally those people who are inquiring now are very new into their planning because they literally got engaged at Christmas or at New Year's. So they're brand, brand new. So I find that the people who are inquiring now are at such an early stage of their thinking that they're not actually ready to book yet. That's how I... F- oh, yeah, you know, that, yeah, that's totally that's true. that's how I find. So I find people are scattergun approaching um, the inquiries thing. They're just going, oh, I'm getting married. I'm going to need like a whole bunch of suppliers, so I'm just going to email everybody under the sun. But they're not quite ready to book yet. Um, and they might not come back and actually book for three or four months. Yeah, and that's totally uh, totally true. On many counts, like there's there's also some couples who are like, yeah, let's just book. Uh, but, Absolutely. But for me, it isn't so much about the money and the actual booking. It's just about the confidence around what you do. Like, I don't know. This is true. Whatever you want, but I still get a little bit, I, I don't know, like you just start wondering, like, 
uh, am I... Do people still want yeah, me? Am, am I still okay? Like, is this a year that I wind up and I go to real estate? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, is, is my plan B. So the second the second I start falling apart in this inquiries kind of you know, wedding game, I'm straight to real estate. I reckon that's... I'll just kind of die an old man selling houses. Good to know. Yeah, Good to know. I have a plan B. Always got to have a plan this B. This is very true. Very true. Either that or <laughs> if I'm cynical enough, and this really does depend on how cynical I am, I could become a wedding DJ. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Although, to be honest, most DJs go the other way. They become DJs first and then they become a celebrant. Yeah, true. Because, you know, when you're old, like you don't want to be lugging all that equipment around and like bumping out at one o'clock in the morning. Just, just a shout out to the, the possible DJ that listens to the show. I'm, I'm sure you're a <laughs> lovely human. Uh, but, there is one. Yeah. Hi, Daniel. Uh, Dan's in. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's somehow, I, I, I don't know why, like why do old guys that know how to use sound systems go like, I just hate my life that much. I'm going to become a wedding DJ. You see them at the wedding, they're like, just sad. <laughs> I'm like, go home, man. Have a beer. Bless. Yeah. Okay. So um, we want to talk in this episode about inquiries and um, and just that kind of the, the January process because January is its own weird, beautiful, lovely month in the wedding industry where we're we're marketing heavy. We got you know Hello May's got its big you know, annual come out and there's new editions of White Magazine and all the inquiries. Sorry, all of the uh, directories are just going hard. Like, and there's also major wedding expos, yeah, expos. Uh, you know, huge expos with with you know hundreds of two hundred suppliers and literally thousands of people through the doors. Yeah. So it's it's not so time in the industry and so um the celebrant's position in that and look i can talk about this till kingdom come but i wanted to open it up with uh, you sarah um what is what is your like like how are you approaching january in a i'm gonna market myself i'm gonna kind of make some money what's your what's your january to be honest i'm a little bit lazy and i just do the same thing in january that i do the rest of the year (laughs) Except that I do do a major expo in January every year and I have done since I started my business. My very first expo was the 3rd and 4th of January 2014 um, and and I took 10 bookings at that expo. So I do a major expo in January and I feel like to a certain extent expos are not working as well for me as now when I'm sort of a bit more of an average cost than they did when I was cheap when I started, but I still feel the need to have a presence at a January expo because that is the time when a um, brides and grooms have got time because they're on holidays or they've, you know, just kind of easing back into work. So they've actually got some time to start thinking about their planning and B, as we've discussed, they've just got engaged. So they're excited and they're all like looking to see what, what's around and trying to start making plans. So, you know, I've had people that I've met at expos in January who've then come back to me six months later, once they've booked their venue and their photographer and they've got their date and they've booked me. So for me, it's about getting that inquiry on the books uh, at the time in January is really important and, and following up those leads and those sorts of things. But in terms of other marketing stuff, as I say, kind of lazy. Sorry about that. It's a, it's, it's funny how so many people in the wedding industry have got these really different opinions on um, on wedding expos. Like like you, you spark up a conversation anywhere in the wedding industry and there's there's going to be, if you've got three three people in front of you, one of them is going to be like, I swear by wedding expos, it's the only way I'm making money. 
Yeah. There's one guy who's like, would never do one. If you caught me there, kill me. It's the worst thing I could ever go to. And then mm-hmm. there's someone who, and I'm probably in the middle, who um, like, I don't want to be out, but I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to like, like I don't want to rely on them, and and I don't know whether they're amazing for me, but I still do them because I need to maintain a presence because, and this is my rationale, that um, the people getting married, like the people that just got engaged, they have never heard of Josh Withers. They they do not know that I exist. They might have seen me at a wedding. They probably didn't. <laughs> and and even though I might have all these opinions, um, it doesn't matter because they don't know what exists. And if I'm the right celebrant for them, I need to get off my ass, put the pants on, and go out to a wedding expo. Please do put the pants that's, on. That's every part time. of my processes, yep. which we'll be covering. That, that is good. That is we'll good. Covering that in a future but it's- episode. <laughs> It's interesting though because look, we've talked about this in a previous episode that for me part of the beauty of expos is the networking with other suppliers. That's super important to me as well and I feel like if I don't have that presence at the you know the one or two expos that I now do a year that I'm missing out on that important networking time and that to me is just as important as the brides that are, and grooms that I meet at that expo because you know, a lot, as we've talked about before, a lot of my work comes from referrals from other suppliers and I just like making friends in the industry and then, you know, it makes work more fun because you've got people to hang out with and it's cool. So to me, yeah, look, you know, my first year, 50% of my work, of my bookings came from expos. I did nine expos that first year. Uh, This year I'm going to do one or two. I did two last year. So it's been a real change for me. Part of that change has been from the fact that the market is now uh, completely glutted with expos. In 2016, there were over 120 wedding expos in Melbourne alone. And I know that because I kept a list because I'm a nerd. We've discussed that before. We have. Um, So, you know, I've heard stories from celebrants or from suppliers who've been around a long time who've said that, you know, 10 years ago there were two major expos a year and you could book your entire year's work from one show. So, you know, expos were crucial uh, back then because you could literally take 30, 40, 50 bookings from one expo. I just don't see that happening anymore. There are too many expos now. Uh, and also social media is so huge that a lot of couples are jumping online, whether it's social media or Google, to even the people that they've met at expos, they're checking them out. You know, they're jumping online to check them out and they've also got lots of choice right in front of them without actually having to go to an expo in the city with 5,000 other people. So, yeah, expos, I'm I'm always up and down about them. For some people, they work amazingly. For some people, they're terrible. Uh, for some people, they're kind, as you discussed, said, they're kind of in the middle. For me at the moment, I feel it's important to maintain a presence at them. Yeah, and I think you'll always find me at, like, I, I don't go to the big expos anymore, um, only because, like, bookings are okay. Like, I don't need to. Uh, but I'll always get a little boutique ones partially sometimes to support friends sometimes mm-hmm. uh, to, to network sometimes. Yeah. Like sometimes it might just be nice. Like it's honestly, it's kind of nice to get out and push myself and just like meet real humans that are getting married. Cause sometimes you, you sit here in your little bubble, bubble in your home office and all you do is talk to people who have contacted you online. Um, 
and you don't hit any opposition, which I don't, maybe that's really good for the brain, but I find it kind of weirdly healthy to get out and meet people who hate you. (laughs) I I say that. Maybe hate is a very strong word. But they're, you know, they're they're, they're not your core demo. And it's just nice to meet them. They're not your people. Which is, I think it's kind of good for the soul for you to just to get over yourself and realize that. There's other people out there and and you know what? Sometimes you've had this single idea in your head like this is what brides and grooms look like and you head out to the expo and you're like, oh, no, they're completely different, which is good for your soul because you learn and you get over yourself. It's so true. And, you know, I sometimes sit here in my little ivory tower and I go, you know, I, I think about some celebrants and I go, oh, you know, I don't. I don't know who would hire them. Like they're not my, I don't get it. And I go to an expo and I meet a couple and I go, oh, you're the one who would hire that celebrant. You're like, you're not my people. You're their people. And that's great. Everyone has people. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Um, you know, as you said, it's good to be challenged and it's good to sit back and go, we're not the be all and end all. There is a celebrant out there for every couple and there is a couple out there for every celebrant. Yeah, absolutely. So so you asked me what kind of changes I make to my marketing in January, and I said pretty much nothing. What changes do you make to your marketing? Uh, mine's fairly simple. Like I – and I'm, I'm always doing this, but I particularly do it at the start of January. I make sure that all my systems and processes are just okay. You know, like the, they mm-hmm. all still work, the automation still work, the emails still send – um, that uh, uh, particularly this year, I spent a lot of time just making sure that I'm not talking about brides and grooms and just talking about people. Um, it, like I was already pretty good with that, but there's a few places where you know I I, I made same sex marriage like an extra thing. I, for example, there was a part of my process I said, and if you're a same sex couple, then when the, when the law changes, we'll do your marriage. Yes, uh, which is not bad or offensive, but obviously no longer required. So Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because I heard from a photographer who's a friend with another celebrant, yada, yada, uh, that that celebrant had received a phone call on the 8th of December from a couple who said to her, you are the only uh, celebrant whose website was up to date enough that it didn't talk about I'll do your ceremony for free. It didn't talk about commitment ceremonies because she'd gotten up at the crack of dawn to make sure that she'd stripped all of that stuff out. Which is an intense effort. Like, good on her. Massive effort and good on her and it paid off. Yeah. Because, you know, that couple was looking for someone who was on the ball and they found her. Yep. So, you know... That's amazing. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll make sure my systems and processes are okay. Uh, but as far as marketing myself, um, I always aim to get, uh, like, just have my name somewhere in a magazine in January. I just, yeah, I, I figure that's the one that's really going to sell. So um, I'm, mm-hmm. in, I'm in White Magazine and Hello May um, this month, uh, which is mm-hmm. uh, the Hello May hasn't come out yet. I think it comes out late January. Um, that's the uh, real wedding special. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. Honestly, when you if anyone listening sees that, which I'm sure you will, because you work in the wedding industry, more than likely one of your weddings is in there. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear everyone's opinion on. I, I did a really different ad. So did I? Did I show you the ad? I think I might have. You did. I love the ad. Yeah, it's very different. I love the ad. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people think. It'll be interesting to see what feedback you get because I gave you some feedback and you came back and went, "Yeah, that's the point." Ah, oh, okay, cool. So it'll be really interesting to see how it's received. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, but but the big thing that I do, and and I always I'm already active on social all the time. But through January, I'm very deliberately, very deliberately um, active on social, uh, creating content that I think matters to people getting married, um, and 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 that that's the key that I really take away with any of my social media, but particularly through January, is I'm saying, I'm saying that. Not everything that we as celebrants and marriage, uh, like wedding industry people, have to say is not all. Of, not all of it matters to people, um, mm-hmm. and so I really try to make that my filter. Like, does this matter to people who are getting married? Um, and my goal is is that people that are getting married would somehow find me, be tagged in me, be shared with me, whatever it might be, and and I would form a useful part of their life. Now they don't have to book me. I might not be available, but my brand and my goal with my brand in my marketing is over the long term that I would be useful, that I would matter uh, because I think that will have a greater long-term financial success then ah so then this explains why we why we're now seeing posts from you on Facebook of things like here's some instructions for making a really cool wedding yeah, yeah. here's some instructions for looking for ace vendors um and i i have actually noticed an uptick in those types of posts from you recently which i think is really cool and that is about content that is useful and it's going to be useful to everyone not just the people who book you yep. that's uh, that's that's my game that because not everyone or a not everyone can afford me b not everyone like i'm just not available for everyone yeah just mm-hmm. in dates and mm-hmm. whatnot i'm not available yeah um and i still want to have a positive brand influence in their minds um because their wedding is awesome like their 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 wedding matters and they're excited about that and so i don't want to downplay that um and my hope is that over the course of a number of years people would develop a sense of, hey, that Josh Withers, not a dickhead. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of my thing. Um, It's a good thing. It's a great thing. What can I say? Now, I've got a question for you that's, uh, I suppose, a little bit technical in that I'm seeing from you a lot less lately of you sharing blog posts and much more of you posting the content direct to the platform. Is that on purpose? Is that a strategy? Is that something you haven't really thought of and didn't really realize you were doing? Yeah, no, it's it's very deliberate. Um, my my blog serves a great purpose, and I'll always drip feed stuff into that. And sometimes you might—I I don't know how closely people watch me—but you might see a social media post. And a week or a month later, it'll become a blog post um, because the blog still serves a purpose, but not as much on social media. And uh, because my data and also the greater industry's data shows that people don't click links. They just, they just don't. Yeah. Interesting. Is that right? Yeah, so like that, like uh, my, my data and also internally to, um, to, so I, I, I see a lot of data out of the Southern Cross Stereo radio network um, and also, I just I kind of study the general the general marketplace. Um, two reasons: people themselves like to get them to click a link. It's it's actually a bit of a burden. Like it's got to be a fucking good link. <laughs> like to 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 really get you to click through. 
um, you've, you've got to really have an amazing tease and then the tease has got to pay off. And then, like, have you, I don't know if this happens on your phone, but sometimes you're in the Facebook app, you'll click a link and it just doesn't load properly. So you got to go, like, you got to go share to Safari and open in Safari and then it, so yeah, annoying. It's so annoying. And so links, like, I I believe that Facebook, um, well, no, not, it's not a hard belief. Facebook doesn't want you to leave Facebook. Like, yeah, of course. Like if, if, of for course. example, if I'm, like, if, um, uh, you just say I'm not married and I'm on a date and I'm on a date with a person and the person and I, I've got their attention, we're having a great chat. And then someone else who's really awesome and attractive comes and sits down at the next table. I don't desire that person that I'm having a date with. To, to change their attention to the person at the next table, yes. wants to stay with me. And Facebook's on yeah. those. Facebook's on a date with you. Facebook wants your attention and wants your eyes. Um, and so Facebook's going to do what it can to like it. It can't shut down links. That'll be an outrage. But algorithmically and technologically, they're not going to make it easy. Uh, which is why you might notice if you click a link in, just say your email app on your iPhone, if you click a link on that, it opens up in Safari because Safari on your, on your iPhone or uh, if, you're on, um, if you're on Android, then the Chrome browser is the native awesome web browser. It's the best way to display web pages on the phone. And, uh, and phones are such a small ecosystem that there's best ways to do it. And then there's two or three worst ways, but they're usually not that good. And so Safari is the best way to view a web page on your iPhone. Facebook, if you click a link, it doesn't open it in Safari. It opens it in a thing. No, called, it opens it in Facebook. Yeah, there's a little, it's called a mobile kit, which is a little, um, uh, it's like a built-in web browser inside Facebook. And it's shitty. Like how shitty is that web browser? Like it's hard. <laughs> it is a bit shitty. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah. So Facebook doesn't, it's, it's not keen on links. Um, what it is keen on is engaging content that keep people in Facebook. So imagine that you're partnering up with Facebook and saying, hey, Facey, let's do stuff that matters for you, matters for me, and matters for the people on Facebook. We can just do this little uh, group session where we all keep, along, keep people on Facebook. I'll create content that's interesting. You bring the people in. We'll all have a great chat. You're showing them ads. I'm making money because they're going to book me, hopefully, or tell people about me. And that's how it works on Facebook. So you create content within the normal Facebook apps, the Instagram app, native to that um, so you're not, you're not cross sharing from Instagram to Facebook. You're posting to Facebook itself and posting to Instagram itself. You're posting stories and you're keeping abreast of what Facebook gives a fuck about. And if you can figure out what Facebook gives a fuck about, then that'll be really good for you. Like, so here's a, here's a good example. Facebook really gives a fuck about video. They really, they, they really care about live video and uploading video. And this is a pain point for me because I want to create really good video content and it's hard. It's just, it just takes it takes effort, you know. It's so hard. And so the, so that's that's a weak point for me, but I know that it's not only about video, it's also about many other things. And so I just try to play Facebook's game. Um yeah. And you know, it's not just about Facebook and about the algorithm, but it also is about human behavior because now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, I will often scroll be scrolling scrolling and go oh, that story sounds interesting that's in a link. I'm going to save that for later. You know how you can save the link on Facebook? Seriously, my saved links is like out of control. I don't, can't even tell you how many links are in there because, and they've been in there for years because I save it, then I never go back to it. (laughs) You and most people. So don't feel bad about it. It's just, you know, it's where we're at today. 
But it is it is interesting about that human behaviour is not to necessarily want to get distracted from the activity you're already on. So I go, oh yeah, that looks interesting, but I'd rather keep scrolling through my Facebook feed at the moment rather than get heavily into that blog post that Josh wrote that I'm sure is really cool. But if it's natively in Facebook and it's just content that's right there, I am going to read it because it's part of my feed. A really good point to take away from this as well. Have you noticed, and you might not have noticed, but you can you can have a Facebook video in a little mini window. It's called a popover window. So you can uh-huh. keep on scrolling Facebook while watching and listening to that video. Have you seen that? Oh, but see, that's called multitasking, which is actually not possible. <laughs> no, it's So true. that means that the people who are doing that are actually not paying attention to either of those things. Wow. Look at that. You've got them. <laughs> yeah. But I know. Face, Facebook wants Facebook wants you to do that, and so that's it. That's yeah. it. They just want you to be right in there all the time. That's really interesting, and I um, because I had sort of noticed recently because you know I've been following your Facebook page for a long time, four and a bit years, and there was a long time where there would be lots of blog posts being shared, and I have really noticed a, a significant drop in that. So it's really interesting to know that that is a uh, a definite strategy and that it is based on data and not just kind of, oh, I got bored of writing blog posts because, <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes that happens too. Well, because the content of my blog posts, it just makes its way to Facebook and Instagram posts now and sometimes I'll do live videos and sometimes I'll do YouTube videos and so same, it's the same content. I mean, I've been rabbiting on about the same crap forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, just, it's just a, a different way of presenting it, which is cool. Can I can I share uh, like another uh, interesting angle on that um, that hopefully would be really helpful to people? The most important metric inside Facebook, and just in case you don't know what I mean by metric, um, um, it's how what, something they measure. So, uh, so some people measure um, the metrics of how many bookings have I got. Like you'll you'll meet a lot of celebrants. Uh, at, you network more than me, so I'm sure you hear this more than me. But like, oh, hi, my name's Josh Withers. I do four, so four weddings a year. Oh, yeah. hi. Yeah, which is, that's the metric they measure themselves on, how many weddings you do. And it's really interesting because uh, at every OPD session I ever went to as a student, that would be the icebreaker. So can everybody go around the room and introduce themselves? Where, do you, where are you from and how many weddings have you done? Yeah. And I refuse to do that. I don't ask that. And I've actually had students say to me, thank you so much for not doing that. Because as soon as you say, I've done five weddings, people discount you. And as soon as you say, you know, I've done 300 weddings, people might go, oh, she might know what she's talking about. And that's not necessarily true. No, it's not true. (laughs) So it's, you know, that's been an interesting that it is the way celebrants do measure themselves, but it's been interesting to remove that from a classroom and see what impact that has, and it's quite dramatic. But anyway, please continue. So that angle is is, is called the metric. So so like, what metrics do you use to define your success? As like, so as we just said, some people use number of weddings. Uh, some people talk about um, how how long they've been doing it. Some people talk about about revenue, um, how much profit. Like you, you don't just have to open a newspaper today, and you'll find. Uh, that XYZ company um, is successful uh, because of this reason, because say they, they sold so many units or they, they their revenue was X or their profit was X or they have different metrics to measure how successful they are. So Facebook's metric, the thing that it measures to find out how successful it is, 
isn't about money. It's not about likes. It's not about users. It's about its cow. Have you heard of the Facebook cow? No. So it's not C-O-W. It's uh, <laughs> C-A-U, the Facebook uh-huh. C-A-U. You want to want to have a guess of what C-A-U stands for? I'm guessing that the C has something to do with community, but I could be completely no. wrong. Completely wrong. <laughs> I can't because I'm not. I'm looking for an E there because I want to say engagement, but no, I'm no. no. Okay, I got nothing. Alrighty. C stands for care. A stands for about. What do you reckon the U stands for? Users. Us. No, or cares us. about us. <laughs> I thought that was too easy. Measure. How many people care about us as Facebook? Oh because, yeah, good one. Because the more people that care, the more people that give a fuck, um, that's what matters. Because if you, like you've got 24 hours a day, you've got seven days a week, you've got so many dollars, so many minutes, so many apps, um, what gets your cares gets everything else. Uh, like if um, if I care about Facebook, I might upload a family photo to there or a funny photo. If I don't care about Facebook, I might just send it by iMessage or, or some other mm-hmm. method of sharing. And so Facebook wants to know, do you care? Because if you care, then then that trickles down to everything else. And so that's the same metric that I'm trying to do. Although because I'm only one person, I don't have this single number like how many – like I've got a tally. Like there's 400 people give a fuck about it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the metric I want to increase. How many, how many people in the universe care about me and what I have to say? Because if I can make that number bigger – then over the long term success and long term life of my business, I might have a little bit more success. Yeah, cool. So that's what my social media is trying to do. I'm trying to get more people to care about me. Yeah. Um, and you know, look, here's here's the hardest thing because a lot of people look at that like, oh god, I've got, I've got to convince someone to care about me. Like totally, that's not the hardest thing yet. The hardest thing is having a backbone. And yes. Like, <laughs> actually having having something to say. Actually having a thought in that big, big grey skull of yours, like actually having some opinions and and like like people talk about me having you know outspoken or controversial. I'm like, no, you know what? I've just turned my head on for the day and I've thought about something and I thought that's awesome and that's shit and I've expressed it and that's how you make people care about you. And that's the thing is, it's not just about having thoughts; it's about expressing them. Yeah, and being intelligent enough to gather that thought together. Yes. Into a place where it makes sense to someone and someone else can respond to that. Someone else can say, I totally agree. And then another person can say, I totally disagree. And yeah. another person can say, that makes me happy. And then another person can say, that makes me sad. And another person can say, that makes me angry. Because that's what you want. you want. You want people to engage with you on a point of, to, to, to a point where it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. I like I, I, it. I've been it's thinking about this good. a lot recently because in um, oh, I must be in two weeks. I'm actually speaking maybe three weeks. Anyway, soon I'm speaking at um, BoothCon. Mm-hmm. Who knew that there was a photo booth conference? <laughs> there is a photo booth conference, and I'm speaking at it. And uh, and I'm speaking on the subject of mattering. How do you yeah. matter to people? Yeah. And um, and yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at. And and this is the same. Like this is not a new thing that Withers has been going on about. I've been talking about this shit for years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's what I'm talking about at BoothCon, and that's hopefully something that really helps other people as well. Talking about inquiry season, it's also worth us talking about process. 
yeah. and yeah. about the fact that it's super important to have some kind of process that allows you to be on top of what bookings you've taken for when. Uh, so when inquiries get crazy like they can do in January, it's very easy to double book yourself if you don't have a good process. If you don't have a good way of collecting the information about what bookings you've agreed to, who you're meeting with about what dates, those sorts of things, it's very easy to get overwhelmed and to say yes to something because you haven't put it in your diary yet or uh, you haven't got your brain switched on because it's, you know, hard to switch on your brain in January after Christmas and also, you know, not to be too overwhelmed. So I think it's really important that people have good processes in place. Now, that doesn't have to be a fancy process like my CRM Tave. It can be an Excel spreadsheet. It can be a notebook. It can be, uh, I know a celebrant who's very busy down here, David Schneider, and one of his tricks is that he has a like a little clipboard essentially that's got um, all of his current inquiries. So everything that's current and it's not yet booked, they're all written on this on this sheet or this notebook or this whatever it is that he carries around with him everywhere. So when somebody rings him and says, are you available on X date? He can look at A, his diary and go, do I have any confirmed bookings? But he can also look at his inquiries sheet and go, do I have anybody who's kind of tentative? Someone I'm meeting with, someone, you know, that I, that I met with already and they're still thinking, those sorts of things. It's good to have some kind of process to capture all of that information to make sure that you're not double booking yourself because double booking sucks. Oh, look, if if you've ever wondered, like, so I'm one of those people that's never broken a bone or anything like that. So if you've ever wondered, like, what does it feel like to really hurt? Double book yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, if, yeah. You, if you've ever wanted to experience a great pain. <laughs> and, and luckily for me, it's, it, I haven't been double booked like so the what you might call the traditional double book like you, know, you, you get the phone call where are you and you're like oh I'm at such and such ceremony because that doesn't happen these days like you're meeting with people months and years out yeah. like it doesn't really happen but I have had so this I don't know if I've told you this story but um, twice in my life of because I'll usually bank up sales meetings day so I'll have a bunch of meetings on one day and sometimes I'm not smart enough to go oh those two people are talking about the same day because what mm. I'll do is I'll I'll, I'm meeting with Jack and Jill. I'll, Jack and Jill are inquiring for the 3rd of March and I'll look at the 3rd of March, still available, awesome, and then just move on. <laughs> and, and I'm not, I, I, my brain doesn't link up. Oh my God, I'm meeting with two people for the same date. Um, and so I've gotten home and they've both booked me that day and I then yeah. have to say, I'm so sorry, guys, to one of the other one of them. And yeah. yeah like, you, like, so that even sucks. that, like that's, that's low level double booking and I still feel sick as a dog. Oh, so sick. It's hideous. Like I've only double booked myself once it's and it's not even for two ceremonies it's for a rehearsal and a naming ceremony and it's they're not even double booked at the same time it's just there's not enough travel time to get between them and I'm like I'm losing sleep over this because and I've shifted the rehearsal by half an hour and the ceremony only has to shift by half an hour but like it's hideous it's horrible and it's just because I checked my lovely board on the wall that has my ceremonies on it because the ceremony was booked after the rehearsal was booked. 
So I didn't check my diary that had the rehearsal in it and that was stupid and that was bad on my behalf because I'm usually really good at that stuff. But I was in a rush one day, you know, she sent me this thing. I went, can you do this time? Yes, no problem. And it's awful. So, you know, these processes are super important. And, you know, the beauty of having a system like Tave, the one that the CRM that I use, is that it even puts any inquiries that I've come that have come through uh, that have a date attached to them, it even puts those in my diary as tentative bookings. So even when I look up my, when somebody rings me and says, are you available? As long as I actually look at my diary and not the bloody board on the wall, um, though everything's in my diary, even the tentative dates that have not yet got bookings attached. So that's really helpful for me. Uh, but you know, there are different ways of doing this. I, I met with some cel- some new celebrants yesterday who aren't even celebrants yet, they're students. And one of the women was feeling quite concerned about the fact that she's not very computer savvy. And she said, well, what do you use for your diary management? And I said, yeah, but that doesn't, it doesn't matter what I use. The important thing is what's going to work for you. And she has a paper diary. So we talked about things like when you get an inquiry, write the tentative booking on that date in pencil and not until it's paid do you want to write it in pen. You know, those kinds of systems. If you use a diary properly, you don't ever actually have to think because you can write your milestones and when everything is due and all those sorts of things in it. It's no problem. So whatever system works for you, just have a system is what I'm saying. Have a plan. It doesn't matter what the plan is because I've got a friend who uses the – the old traditional um, – I don't, don't even know where you get one these days, but you know the old traditional back-of-the-toilet-door kind of calendar? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he uses one of those and that's his thing. And and you know what? That's that's cool. Like I um, – that kind of system would not work for me because I need to – I just want to have it accessible on my phone and they're not accessible on my phone. But, yeah, you just got to have a system. It doesn't matter what the system is, but the, the reason the system matters is because it's kind of like a – you, you have a default behavior. And so when you have a system and an understanding of how it all works, you have a fallback in your head to say, oh, yeah, when this happens, I do that. And so when you get an inquiry, you go, cool, I'll get back to you in three days. Once I travel up to the mountain where my calendar is stored, I look at the calendar, I have a look <laughs> if I'm available, and I'll get back to you. And that's an okay system. Bit weird, but it works. Absolutely. And so that's I, I think that's the take home for me on inquiry season it is a bit nuts. It is a bit crazy. Uh, and know that not everyone is going to be ready to book you straight away. But regardless of all those things, have a process, whatever works for you. We've come to the kind of the hourish part of the podcast. So we're going to start wrapping up in a second. But I um, I just wanted to quickly, also, I've got to get to a marriage ceremony this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> As I look at the clock and I'm like, oh, where'd the afternoon go? But I um, I did want to quickly... Um, address uh, how you and I both do an inquiry. So an inquiry comes in, what do you do? So what do you do? Sure. I mean, obviously it depends on how that inquiry comes in. Uh, Most of my inquiries these days come by email, uh, not by phone, not by text, not by Facebook message. They come by email, which is great because then I can track them. Uh, I write back as soon as I can. So except for while I'm asleep, because I don't have my email ding while I'm asleep to wake me up because I'm not going to be responding at 2am. That's nuts. But any other time of the day or night when I'm awake, I'm in, I'm re- responding to that inquiry 
within two hours is my kind of my goal. Obviously, you know, sometimes it's different if I'm heading to a funeral or whatever else, but even if I know I'm going to be out for a couple of hours, I'll often write back and go, just on my way to a ceremony, thanks so much for your inquiry, I'll I'll send you a full uh, quote, you know, in four hours or whatever. So I do try to get back to them very quickly. Uh, My first email back really depends on what they've asked because some people will just straight away go, Uh, we're getting married on this date at this venue. We love your website. We love your social media. We want to get together for a chat. Awesome. So I'll write back to them and say, great, this is where I hold meetings. This is my availability over the next week. Let's put in a time. Other people will write and go, can you tell me your cost and your availability? Which always amuses me when they come through my website uh, contact form because all of those things are on my website. And if they manage to find my website contact form, they've probably also found my pricing, etc. But anyway, that's fine. I have a little paragraph that I cut and paste and I send that back to them. And, and I always finish with, would you like to get together for a chat? I've tried just assuming they'd like to get together for a chat. I've tried writing back with my paragraph and then going, so let's get together. This is my availability. And that really turned people off. That doesn't work for me. Uh, I know it works for some, some people, but for the people who contacted me, they kind of went, oh, no, like I'm not ready for that yet. So that's okay. I would just write back and go, here's my spiel. Here's my inclusions. Here's my price. Would you like to get together for a chat? They come back and go, yes, great, let's sit down. So that's kind of my my basic how I deal with it. Then it's sit down for an obligation-free chat. I work through my booklet that I send them uh, after they have paid the money. So I work through that with them to explain my process. It explains how I operate. It it shows them what kind of resources they get from me. It explains how all the legal stuff works. And at the end of that meeting, I go, thanks so much for your time. I'm going to give you a few days to think about it and I'll follow up with you in a couple of days. That's how I manage inquiries. So my system um, is a little bit nerdier. Well, it just has nerdy elements. (laughs) Of course. Guess what? (laughs) (laughs) So so when you – and look, if anyone listening wants to give this a try, it'll be really fucking annoying. But I understand that some people like to play with it, so – Please do. Um, just maybe in the acquire box, just say I'm coming from the podcast. Um, just just to respect my processes because you'll drive me nuts. So I'm opening myself up here, being open and authentic, and you're willing. You're okay to give it a shot. Maybe just um, do the wedding inquiry for the date that you like today. If you're doing it today, is the eighth of January. Do it for today. Um, if you're doing it for whatever day, just do it for that day. Otherwise, you just fuck with my processes. So. <laughs> But hopefully everyone can understand I'm being kind by letting you do this. Um, so people inquire via my website, marriedbyjosh.com. Uh, they click on the contact form, fill the contact form out. And when you click submit on that form, a number of things happen. In my calendar, so in Google Calendar, you can have a number of calendars under the single kind of calendar. So I've got a, I've got a, um, a celebrant calendar, I've got a family calendar, and I've got an inquiries calendar. And I've also got a miscellaneous calendar, which is for kind of like sometimes I've just got to block off travel time and stuff like that. So I use my miscellaneous for that. Um, uh, but my inquiries calendar is a calendar where every single inquiry goes to, and I delete them from there once the date's booked. But the reason I have that is um, as you click done, you inquire with Josh, 
it makes an entry in that calendar saying Jack and Jill want to get married on the day. It says inquiry from Jack and Jill on the date and the time that they inquired for, puts their phone numbers and email addresses in the calendar item. So that way when when Jack and Samantha inquire, they're going to be like, oh, I've already had an inquiry for that day. And I'll tell them, I'll be honest, and I'll say, hey, so you guys know, I'm currently available, but I've had three inquiries for that day um, recently. So I just want to give you the opportunity to, if you'd like to expedite things, then that's how we do it. Uh what happens if they inquire for a date you're already booked? I, so, because if they're on separate calendars, do they does that talk no, to each it's other? No, not that smart. The cal- calendar <laughs> calendar systems are that's, shit. <laughs> but that's why I only have one calendar because I just look at my one calendar and that's got both my inquiries and my so, bookings so, so on when it. So when I when I view if I'm like right now I click calendar and I open it up, I can see both items next to each other. They're just inquiries right. green and um, business is orange. So that's yeah, so I can sure. see them. Okay, that makes it's sense. Just, so sometimes I'll just disable the inquiries calendar because there's a lot and I just want to get rid of them. And also I yeah, I didn't – I want the different colors because the different colors help me operate. So um, so they click uh, so they click submit. It makes a calendar entry. Then it sends them a text message saying, hey, thanks for inquiring. Um, your inquiry has been received. We'll get back to you real soon. But while you're waiting around, add me on Facey and Insta. And we'll um, talk soon. So I send them my Facebook and Instagram links. So on their phone, they can click through and add me on social media. And uh, so that text message is sent. Um, I get a notification on my Apple Watch and my iPhone, iPad, laptop. So not an email. I do get an email, but I don't have notifications on for emails because it would drive me nuts. So, but I have a notification pop through using a notification service called Pushover. And it goes, bing, and I get new inquiry from Jack and Jill for the 1st of February. And at that time, I get to have a look at my calendar. If it's a date I'm available for, and the date that I'd kind of like, I recognize that a speedy inquiry would be better. Um, I'll make a point to get to my computer sooner rather than later. If it's for a date I'm already booked, I'm like, I'll get to that in a couple of hours. Like, it, I'm just going to let them know I'm not available. Uh, so, so that that's why I have the notification come through. So I have an opportunity to re- reply quickly or to reply slowly, and even sl- yeah, that's your triaging. Yeah. You're triaging those inquiries. This this one needs to be responded to now. That one can wait for exactly. two hours. So uh, so from there, I um if I when I go to when I go to reply, I use a system, an emailing system called Help Scout, and in Help Scout. Um, I've got three, there's three things I can do. One of them is reply and say, sorry, not available. When I'm, when I'm not available, I just say, hey, if I'm not available, check out celebrant.directory. I send them all there. And, um, and hopefully everyone that's on the celebrant.directory website, that's what they do. They all refer back to there. That's kind of hopefully how it works um, because it's this big group collective. Like they like us, they might like other people from us. So that's, uh, if I'm not available, that's how I do that. Then um, if, uh, if I am available, if it's... I don't know if I'm feeling lazy or if it's whatever, <laughs> I've got a text reply. I've just got a set reply saying, yes, I'm available. I send them a photo of my cat, a link to my website that has um, information on how much I cost. Um, if you want to look at that, you can go to marriedbyjosh.com forward slash cost and have a look at that. And uh, so if I'm lazy, I'll do that. I shouldn't do that because the other option I do, which is much more successful, has a much higher conversion rate and works so much better for me, is I send them a video email. And the video email I send them is oh. through a system called BombBomb. And uh, B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B dot com. And I think I get a referral link. If you want to sign up for BombBomb, send me an email or send us an email and I'll put the referral link in because I think you get an extra month free or something like that. Um, but what BombBomb does is into my phone or into my laptop, I record a little message saying, hey, Jack and Jill, thanks for inquiring. Um, I'd love to be a celebrant. Uh, 
and I just wrap it on. I answer any questions I've got. I tell them how much, but it's in a video. It's in my voice because that's what I'm selling. Wow. I'm selling me. And I send them a video email. It's very impressive. And it works really well. It's so simple to do as well. So, um, so that's how I respond to an inquiry. From there, some people just book straight away. Some people want to meet. We'll meet on the phone, meet on Skype, meet in person. And uh, the way they final finalize the booking is I end any sales meeting with a conversation saying, if you'd like to book me, head to marriedbyjosh.com forward slash booking and uh, fill out that form and pay the deposit at the end. It all happens online with an online credit card thing. And um, I'm yours. That's very impressive. I would just like to remind all of our listeners out there that Josh is a massive tech nerd. <laughs> and that the process that he uses is one that he has built using multiple different systems and lots of different trial and error and things, making things talk to each other that don't usually talk to each other. So please don't, f- <laughs> I don't want people to feel inferior. <laughs> <laughs> Because I often feel inferior when I listen to your oh, very impressive don't, process. Don't feel no, no, inferior. Just because it's super cool and it's so amazing and I wish that I was quite that clever, but I'm not. So I just have one system that does it all for me, which is amazing. But so, you know, um, I think that people have to remember that you've invested a lot of time and energy and resources in, into figuring out what systems do the things that you want them to do and made them work for you. And this has also been a process of evolution because all of those things that you, some of those things you just mentioned to me then, I haven't heard about before from you. And you and I have talked about the this stuff quite a lot. So um, the bomb bomb thing and the notification to your Apple Watch that's produced by some notification system, like that's news to me. So these are things that have evolved in your process over time. You weren't born as a baby celebrant with this process ready to go. So it's I think no, it's important for totally everybody not. to realise that all of these processes and things evolve over time. My processes using Tave now are much different to the Excel spreadsheet and the notebook that I used when I first started. So everybody should feel their way and figure out what works for them and, uh, and you know, the best way of doing things. And the best way of doing things for another celebrant might not be to use any kind of online system at all. It might be to use a paper diary and talk to people on the phone. And that's okay. I just think it's worth reminding people of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely respect that. Um, and I, I suppose a bit of a teaser for an upcoming episode, and hopefully it's going to be the next one because um, Cliffo's emailed in, um, sent a voicemail in wanting to know more about this, is about customer journey and processes and systems, which we've kind of touched on a bit, but we're going to really open up on it. And, um, yeah, we'll do should, it next should we just episode. Commit? Say we'll do it next episode. Mate, it's you that has right, to commit. Done. So, you know, <laughs> I was all over that now. one today. So you can do that next time. I know. But, uh, but part of that conversation um, is going to be uh, – if you, so I see this a lot through New Zealand and a little bit through Australia. Imagine you're driving north of Sydney. This is a good example for people that have driven from, say, Sydney to Newcastle and Central Coast. The original road used to weave in between all the mountains. And slowly and surely, as they've developed technology and intelligence as to how it all works, they've, um, they've bombed out a side of a hill or they've, you know, they, they've, they've made the road, uh, I guess, easier straighter they've taken out all the bumps and nooks and crannies because 
those things aren't good for cars and for driving. And so their journey from Sydney to the Central Coast or Newcastle has slowly gotten easier and better. And that's what developing systems and processes for your business is like, is look, the first the first road, rough as hell. It's rough as guts. But, you, but still works. Still works, still gets you there. But over time, you're like, oh, if I just knock down that mountain, then people driving, they, they, they have a much better experience because they're not – going around crazy corners and driving 20Ks an hour. But, yeah, so, so that's kind of like designing your own customer journey is you you put the first road in and then you just slowly make corners easier and you make you put a tunnel through and you, and you, and you might realise, oh, God, we've been going the long way. There's a short way. Uh, kind of like a lot of people ask a million questions in contact forms, whatnot, and and they and like pair that back. Is any of it necessary? And so that that's what that's what designing a customer journey and designing a good system is like. Is finding out what is necessary for me to do this journey, what is necessary for them to do this journey, and then designing the best system around that. So we're going to cover that in a well, next next episode. So we'll do that. And um, if you've got any questions or input on that, then please, this is a good opportunity to jump in and say, hey. I got a thing. Yeah, totally. Hello at celebrant.fm. Um, from here, Sarah, it is always a pleasure to hang out with you. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. If you want to know more about uh, the podcast, listen to other episodes. If you want to share it with people, the website really simply is celebrant.fm. You can just type that in and boom, you're there. Uh, like we just mentioned, the email address is hello at uh, celebrant.fm. Uh, if you want to hook up a Sarah on Insta or Facebook, how do we get a hold of you there, Sarah? Sarah Ed Civil Celebrant. And I am at Married by Josh. Um, thank you for listening to another episode. We just really enjoy doing this and we love hearing you guys um, give us some feedback. So thank you so much. Sarah, have a great thank weekend. Thank you. You too. Chat soon. Bye.